Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he's the guy who loves to play huge 30-30 flying trampling creatures. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, do you know why Rick Grimes likes the Great Barrier Reef so much? Uh, no. Why? It's because of all the coral. I haven't <laughs> seen the show. It's is... You literally have to watch two episodes. <laughs> it, okay. it's, it's low-hanging fruit. All right, good to know, good to know. Uh, next, he's the guy who loves to cast mind controls on those huge 30-30 creatures that Matt plays. That's Dana Roach. Uh, you know, Matt was making reference to old material there. By the time this show comes out, we'll be talking about the secret layer Big Bang Theory. So time <laughs> to move on to that and get ready to get hit by a counterspell called Bazinga. Oh, no. Oh, It's going to happen. No. Mark it down. Oh, I would like to cast Bazinga on that proposition. <laughs> anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Fellas, what is it that we are talking about this week? We're talking about late boomers, which are commander players born in the late 1950s <laughs> through the mid-1960s. Um, I think you missed a letter there, Dano. So, oh, it's late late bloomers that's sorry that's that's on me there you that's... there you go yes indeed so late bloomers the commanders that didn't spike until much much later on in their lifetime and trying to find out why it might be so this is going to kind of be the uh, opposite of the episode 124 that we did the commanders that plateaued they had a really strong start and then faded away we're going the opposite of that one here it should be a whole lot of fun but before we get to our main topic we have to give a huge shout out and thank you to the command zone josh the and the whole team there do an amazing job with the post-production of our podcast they make it look as spiffy as it does so thank you guys so 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 much and also thank you to our sponsor Sponsors for the podcast too. Yeah, we want to thank our sponsors, Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Card Kingdom has a fantastic buy list of you of cards you aren't using and an impeccable inventory with almost any card you'd want for any new deck you're building. We're also sponsored by TCG Player with a huge inventory of cards as well. Anything you have, they probably have it. So just go to EDH Rec, click on the card you want, and choose the appropriate link beneath it. Uh, doing so supports both the site and the show. 
And if you would like to support the podcast directly, head to patreon.com slash edhretcast. We have all sorts of tiers available for our patrons, whether you want to come out and hang out in the Discord that we have going on. We have some amazing conversation over there. Or if you just want some swag every now and then, we have a tier that you can sign up and you'll get some EDH rec swag. It's going to be pretty great. But there also is a tier for some EDH recognition uh, where we give some shout outs to a patron every week. And this week we have a one uh, Chanandler. I, weird. Uh, no, it's, excuse me. Chandler Blaylock. Sorry. Oh. Chandler Blaylock. Could he be <laughs> any more of a patron? Oh, my goodness. So, Matt, Joey, that's that... a Friends reference, which also is probably too old for you. Hey, was... no, no. I get that one. I know that reference. Come on. Well, then you'll be pleased, Joey, at the upcoming Secret Lair Friends set will be getting <laughs> here sometime next month. No, no. Oh, we must shut it down. Chandler, thank you so much for being a supporter. We really appreciate all of the support from our patrons. So thank you again, Chandler. All right. Before these guys can invent any more crazy secret layer ideas, how about we get on to our main topic, fellas? We are talking about late bloomers, not late boomers, about those commanders who spiked really, really later on in their lifetime. Uh, so... This was kind of a tough episode to measure. I just want to like sort of run through how this process kind of works because it took us a little bit longer uh, to get this episode out than it did the commanders that plateaued. Um, and it, the reason it was kind of tough to measure is because there were just a whole lot of steps to it. So, for example, we had to check the peaks and valleys of literally all existing legendary creatures in the game and also, you know, balance those out, find out, you know, if there were any tiny modulations that looked like spikes but actually weren't. So we had to measure out all of those. Then, of course, we had to check that against their popularity when the commander was first released. And once we have all of those numbers to verify that it was in fact a late spike, then we also had to check what happened around those time periods. You know, had it received a reprint at that time? Were there any rules changes that maybe happened? And if not any of those reasons, was there something else going on? Was there a set release that happened at that time, at that time of the spike? So there's a whole lot of things to go into here, but we finally assembled all of it and it should be a whole lot of fun. So let's get into these now. The first uh, reason for some spikes, Matt, what is the first category of spike late bloomer commanders that we're going to be going into? So the first reason that we're looking into on why some of these commanders might have spiked up in popularity is just a simple reprint. A lot of times cards might be expensive, they might be very old, and they just slip out of memory. So sometimes the most beneficial thing for a commander as far as boosting its numbers to the amount of decks that people are, have built for it is just having a reprint. There's more copies out there in the wild, that means there's more people building those decks. Yeah, and also it can make them a lot less expensive if they were really old commander that, you know, used to be 20 bucks and now it's four. That can also make a really big difference in terms of accessibility as well. Huge impact. Yeah, I mean, people don't want to spend $40, but it's a lot easier to spend 10 on a very powerful commander. So you'll see that a lot here in this first group of commanders. Yeah, so let's get to it. What's a first example that we've got of commanders that got a spike later on in their life because of a reprint? The first example we have here will be Scion of the Ur-Dragon, a card first released in 2006. Uh, it's one of the earlier five-color commanders. Uh, it's a legendary creature dragon avatar with flying. But the most important thing here is you can spend two mana to search your library for a dragon permanent card and put it into your graveyard. And then Scion becomes a copy of that card until end of turn. So this was a card that spiked in 2017, basically 11 years after release. Ooh. And it went from on average six decks a week to a high of 89. Um, Whoa. That's a huge, huge leap. 
Yeah, that's an enormous jump, and it's actually not too difficult to find out why, because at the time in 2017, that is when we got the Draconic Domination Precon Commander deck. So that is the one that had the Ur-Dragon at the helm, but Scion of the Ur-Dragon was featured in that deck, so it was just able to be built more often while also coming in a very popular Precon, just more players had it and then could build it if they wanted an alternative Dragon Tribal Commander. Yeah, and this is another one that it, it was in the Precon, which means a lot of people had copies, which obviously made the price go down quite a bit because there are so many out there. Like you said, Joey, this was a very, very popular pre-con deck. So there are a lot of them that were purchased. Uh, the price went from like $20 all the way down to about five or so. Mm. So just there were so many more people that were willing to spend $5 on this five color legendary dragon than they were, you know, at the previous price before it got reprinted. Indeed. All right. So what's another example of a commander that got reprinted and therefore saw a huge spike? So I'm going to out Dana Dana with this one. So he said a card from 2006. I got a card from 2004, so eat it. Um, that card <laughs> is Maronar. That's the legendary uh, rat from Kamigawa block. It's uh, three black black for a two three rat rogue. Uh, gives all your rats fear and you can sacrifice a rat and you put X rat tokens into play where X is the number of rats you control. So kind of a, a Krenko mob boss type of feel to Maronar. Uh, the, Originally, like I said, printed in 2004, but around February of 2020, uh, it went from a, no real mentionable spike, not a whole lot of decks being built. And all of a sudden in February of 2020, about 52 decks a week we started receiving. That pushed it all the way into the top 100 commanders of all time. Man, this one is really surprising to me because I would have expected a commander like this that is so good at Rat Tribal to actually spike more when, for example, we got the Rat Colony card from Dominaria because then, you know, a Rat Tribal deck, it was just like, here's a, a go-to commander for it. But I have to assume that the accessibility and the high price of this much older card was just kind of preventing that from being an option until it was reprinted in the Secret Layer Rat uh, product that came out in February of 2020, hence the spike that we see here. Oh, I, th I thought it was Secret Layer Master Splinter, and this was just the alt art for it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's too good. That is absolutely too, too far good. ahead. That's that's next year. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Moving on. Another commander that we saw get a spike also because of a reprint. In fact, I think because of a secret layer product is the card Reaper King. This is a five mana artifact creature with hybrid mana for each of its mana costs. So you can pay two generic mana or a white, two generic mana or a blue. It is a six, six that gives your other scarecrow creatures you control plus one. And whenever another scarecrow comes into play under your control, you can destroy target permanent. So Reaper King was originally printed in 2008. I think it's in one of those Shadowmore sets, but its spike didn't happen until January of this year. It went from the highest spike it had ever seen was like eight decks per week, but in January it went to 43 decks per week. And this one, once again, is one of those secret layer reprintings. Yeah, that makes a, just a huge difference on, on, on a lot of these cards. Um, but this is a perfect example of one that was $40 shortly before the reprint. You know, that's a kind of a difficult thing to justify buying sometimes. But then when you see the Secret Lair come out and you can spend $40 and get it and other cards along with it, that clearly right. became a, a much easier thing for a lot of people to do. And even if you didn't buy that Secret Lair product, it just knocked the price down in general of the existing cards. So it made people who, you know, even if they weren't picking that up, they could still buy that single for a deck they'd wanted to build in, in 
presumably didn't pull the trigger on because of the price. Right. And that's the one that also had other commanders. Like I think the Ur-Dragon was in that same product mm-hmm. as well. So there's just kind of a whole lot of appeal. And then this one, like it had been expensive before and it was in a new, also pretty expensive product here too. But like, this is just a, a way to get it more into people and people can enjoy the Reaper King because man, that ability destroying permanence when scarecrows enter, there weren't a whole lot of scarecrows back when this is first printed mm-hmm. in 2008, but we've got a lot of changelings out there right now. So that makes this, I'm actually a little bit more afraid of the Reaper King than I think I ever was before. Yeah, definitely stronger than it was for a long time. And it's one of those cards that will presumably keep scaling up as they sprinkle more changelings and more even scarecrows on occasion in sets over the years. Absolutely. Um, the next one here we can jump to is Kalia of the Vast, commander that first appeared in 2011 in one of the first, well, not one of the first, literally the first commander precon products. Um, Kalia really, really popped up in price basically this summer, August 2020. Um, five a week on average what we saw for decks, and she jumped to a high of 34 a week. That was a pretty huge leap for a commander that's you know almost 10 years old now. Well, and you'll you'll remember in August of 2020, Double Masters came out, which obviously mm-hmm. cratered the price. Kali was getting pretty expensive for a while, but yeah, having Double Masters come out recently, it just made the it's so much more affordable. Yeah, very much because that thing went up to into like crazy prices, over a hundred dollars to get that thing, and it's like Kali is a really cool commander. Let's enjoy it at a much more budget friendly price. I I really like Kali a whole lot, so I'm glad that people get to play it. But also at the same time, while I say I like Kali a whole lot because I just like cheating stuff into play, the games against Kali players. They are brutal, I tell you what. Yeah, it's a rough commander. Although I would say one of the things that probably also helped it a little bit too is as commanders tightened up and as we've gotten better commanders over the last few years, some of the stigma from Kali has also gone Mm. away a little bit. So I think that's probably, that probably at the very least didn't hurt when the price went down and became an easier thing to build when there's a little bit less um, hate directed your way across the table than there was, say, three or four years ago. Yeah, makes sense. Well, speaking of another commander from that 2011 product, Animar Soul of the Elements is another commander that falls into you know, this category of it got a reprint and and saw a sudden resurgence of popularity Uh, came out in 2011. But in 2018, we saw a massive jump from about seven decks per week to 39 decks per week. And and that's something for a commander that's been around a while, kind of like Kalia was. It's not really something we expect to see. Yeah. So what was the reprinting there? What happened in 2018? Well, Masters 25 came out, and that just happened to mm. put a bunch of copies out there in the wild. It was still a mythic, but it went from $30 down to about 10 or so. And so just that's, you know, cutting the price into a third, that's much more easier to stomach for a lot of people who maybe wanted to build one of these decks, but just couldn't ever, you know, justify spending that much money on just the commander. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you go from a situation where it's $30 and there probably aren't copies behind the glass at your LGS because it hadn't been out for a long time to now being able to get it for just under 10. And you probably can walk into your local game store and see one there in in the case and be like, ah, oh, I'm going to pick up that, that Animar. Um, so availability and price, both two big factors here for sure. Well, and, and the yeah. average Animar deck, like you're playing the typical deck that we see on the website too, playing a lot of expensive Eldrazi Titans. It's doing mm-hmm. a lot of combo things. So it's a pretty specific and, and fairly pricey deck too. So I bet that's probably another factor that, you know, came into why Animar suddenly got this jump because a lot of the prices, not just the commander, got cheaper for Animar specifically. And what's kind of interesting too is that Animar, in addition to the Eldrazi, as you mentioned, there's also the capacity for Animar to be played as a very popular morph commander too, mm-hmm. because you can play 
a bunch of free morphs that also will power up Animar, but those didn't seem to have affected the numbers for Animar really all that much. We didn't see spikes around the times that we got more morph cards. We saw it really when it was just reprinted. So again, it's a testament to the fact that reprinting can really help uh, commander's numbers out like a whole, whole lot. Um, and that's also definitely true of the final commander that we're going to talk about here, the final uh, surge that we saw as a result of reprinting, and that is just for the commander Rurik Thar the Unbowed, a six mana, six, six ogre warrior with vigilance and reach that must attack each turn if able. And whenever a player casts a non-creature spell, Rurik Thar punishes them by dealing six damage to them. Rurik Thar came out in 2013, and I don't know if it was ever actually necessarily all that expensive, but we did see a spike happen in January of 2019. So, you know, six years after it had come out, it went from the highest spike it had ever experienced was five decks a week, and it jumped up to 18 decks a week. And, Dana, what was the product that we saw released at that time that would have given this that surge in popularity? We saw the Ravnica Guild Kits come out. Um, basically, all the commanders from the Guild Kits got a bit of a bump, but this is the most notable one. Everyone just got new copies, oftentimes in a new frame of some kind of older classic commanders, and it just inspired a bit of a resurgence and people brewing those decks. Yeah, like I think Trustani was one of them from that product as well. Uh, but I think that too, like it isn't necessarily that, like I, I don't actually think that Rurikthar was even all that expensive before. It might have been, I'm just not sure off the top of my head, but it also just got new art. And maybe yeah. that's also something to consider too, is like it didn't just get a reprint it got a new treatment and that can invigorate players to want to build the thing too is that it's just more aesthetically fun too yeah completely agree all right, so the thing is, some of these commanders that we just discussed, they did get a spike when they were reprinted, but they also, some of them were already kind of popular unto themselves, even from that point. The reprints just made them, you know, more popular. And also, we're kind of more interested in the commanders that spiked for reasons beyond the simple one, which is they got a reprint and they are more accessible. So let's try and dig into some of those reasons now. Matt, what's the next section that we're moving into? What's another reason that a commander might spike up in popularity? Well, sometimes just rules of the game change. Uh, rule changes happen to have affected a couple commanders that we're going to talk about here. Um, one specifically is the commander death uh, death trigger was a massive change that happened recently where it used to be when a commander died, the commander just went straight to the command zone and didn't actually hit the graveyard. So when that change happened, Alenda the Duskrows got a significant jump because Alenda specifically has a death trigger on her. Um, so for those of you who don't remember, Alenda's that uh, Orzhov vampire that whenever a creature dies, another creature dies, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Alenda, and then when Alenda herself dies, you create X11 tokens where X is Alenda's power. So you kind of need her to die. And previously, before the, the rule change happened, we didn't really see a whole lot of commander decks built. Right, because you would have needed to put her into the graveyard and keep her there. There wasn't that replacement rule. So it just made her less appetizing because you kind of only get the one shot to get that death trigger since she doesn't die technically until that rules change. How did the numbers change on that once that rules uh, switch was put into effect? Well, in June 2020 was when the rule happened. Before that, we weren't seeing really any decks, like I said. no, Not a very popular commander, but all of a sudden, about June of of 2020, when that rule went into effect, we saw 42 decks a week for Alenda, which is a massive jump. I mean, that's one of the bigger ones that we talked about, kind of like what we said with Marinar. Mm, yeah. And, and that was a rules change too, that not only made it easier for you to get value out of Alenda, 
but it made the deck way easier to brew. Previously, you had to probably have ways in your deck to then get Alenda back in your command zone from your graveyard so you could recast her to do the whole process again. Um, now you've just freed up X amount of slots in every Alenda deck since you get the trigger about having to have other cards to build around it. So that, that deck's just easier to build. Like in addition to being stronger, it's just much less frustrating to have to like balance multiple different types of cards in addition to the things you want to run anyway, just to make her work. Well, and the interesting part on this too is Alenda, when that rule changed, saw a huge jump in popularity. Child of Alara didn't. And Child of Alara is kind of in that same camp where the death trigger specifically benefited Child of Alara, but the popularity didn't really change on that, which is it's interesting that Alenda did see that, but other commanders that have death triggers like that, they didn't really see any increase in popularity. Yeah, that's what was so fascinating to me going through all of this. We checked at that time for any other commanders that might have spiked around the time of June 2020 when that rules change took effect. Roalesque is another one, for example. It's a Simic mm -hmm. commander that has a death trigger that lets you proliferate some stuff. Nothing. It didn't really move. It really was just Alenda that jumped up in, in popularity as a result of this rules change which a lot of other ones didn't, which is just particularly fascinating. And I think speaks to how awesome the aristocrat strategy is. That, that's just me personally. <laughs> well, just... first off, in, I think in the case of Rolesk, you have to be a good commander for people to want to build you to begin with. So I don't <laughs> know if the death trigger really did a whole lot. It's fine. Simic has enough broken commanders to begin with. It's okay they have an okay commander. Oh, man. All right. The shade. I love it. Uh, so that's not the only rules change that affected a commander's popularity, though, because we also had another rules change about the Planeswalker uniqueness rule. Uh, so a while back, the Planeswalker uniqueness rule was that you could only have, for example, one Jace in play, one Planeswalker with the type Jace on it. And then they kind of changed it around. It was in 2017 that they changed it to, actually, Planeswalkers are legendary, so it matters their actual name. You can have two Jaces. You can have three Jaces in play if you want. It isn't based off of their type lane. There's not that weird uniqueness rule for just the characters, cards, stuff like that. And a commander that we saw spike up in popularity as a result of this, Dana, what changed? So with the change, Captain Sisse got a lot better. She is a four mana creature in Slesnia colors, and she has an ability where you can tap to search your library for a legend or legendary card, reveal that card and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So previously, she could go fetch any legendary creature. Now you have the option to go grab any Planeswalker. Um, you know, even if you're just playing a, a legendary creature deck for the most part, being able to grab a couple planeswalkers is useful and makes her better. But as this change happened, she now becomes a legitimate super friends commander. So people built this deck specifically to go get planeswalkers. Yeah, I mean, she could get legendary lands, legendary mm -hmm. artifacts, but man, when you can get planeswalkers that also provide a ton of value, that's definitely going to help out. So yeah, when she came out, she she originally was printed in the year 2000, I think. Uh, and then in September of 2017, she went from a, like at her highest spike at that point ever had been like four decks a week. And she went up to 14 just as a result of that rules change, because now she can go and find more walkers in the colors. You can get all the else best that you want, basically. Yeah. And this is the kind of change, too, that also had a few kind of cascading things in the deck. You could, you know, always go get the land Untadaki, the Cloud Keeper, which is basically a ancient tomb that just works on legendaries. Well, you could go get it with Sisei and then use that land to get extra mana to pay for the Planeswalkers you're going to get. So this change helped in, in multiple ways with the Sisei, with the Sisei deck in particular. 
there's a few other commanders that made a difference for you know it makes Reki history of Kamigawa a little bit better it makes Empress Galena a little bit better but the, the the one that felt the most impact from this was definitely Captain Sisse. Yeah, and it does also make like Atraxa Praetor's voice a little bit better because, mm -hmm. you know, there's all the planeswalkers, but Atraxa was also already number one at that point. So right. any spike that we saw, it wasn't a unique spike. It was just she got e even better, but that's like, it's because it was Atraxa. She's always going to be proliferating right. her own popularity. Let's be real. <laughs> right. All right. So there are some other reasons that uh, commanders might spike, and we want to get into those two. It isn't related to rules changes. It isn't related to reprints. It might be related to the stuff that was happening in the community or new products or something like that, that maybe bolstered them or something like that. We'll get to that sort of mysterious section a little bit later on, because right now what I want to do, I want us to challenge some stats. There's a whole lot of data here on EDHREC, but, you know, sometimes we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much play. Sometimes they see too little play. So what we'd like to do here is challenge those statistics. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Dana, how about you start us off this week? Uh, first off, the, the card I'm going to bring up here is Throne of Geth. It's a two-mana artifact that lets you tap it to sacrifice an artifact and proliferate. And this is in just around 1,500 decks, and I think it should be in more Super Friends decks or possibly in Fact decks. The, the worst case scenario here is you spend two mana, sacrifice it to itself immediately, and put an extra counter on all your Planeswalkers or give everyone else an extra poison counter. Um, the ability to change the math on at what point you can ult a Planeswalker is a really big deal in a Super Friends deck. And this gives you a two mana way to do that. Oftentimes, even if it's just one, one Planeswalker, that's a big deal. If you can do it to multiple, that's a really big deal. It's a cheap card. It can go on literally any deck. Um, you have a, a, a blue version of that uh, conscientious plan at one and a blue that lets you proliferate. It cantrips and draws you a card, so I guess that's useful, but it's a one-use effect. If you happen to have other artifacts out, even things like treasures or clue tokens that you can sacrifice mm. to Throne of Gath or mana rocks you're not using, you can use it multiple turns in a row, really change that math. I think it's a really strong card in those kind of decks, and if Conscientious plans in 3,000 decks, Throne of Gath should be in more than just 1,500. Nice one. All righty. This one we probably can look forward to in Secret Layer Game of Thrones because yeah. of the oh, Death definitely. Throne. Oh, no. So let's get into my challenge because my challenge, I'm actually really excited about this week, guys. This one comes from one of our listeners. Uh, we do have a, a listener submitted Challenge of Stats channel in the Discord if you go to patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. Awesome. You should check it out. But for as little as $2 a month, you can join the Discord. But if you want to join the tier where we're going to read your challenges, this is what Sarah did in our Discord, and she has a doozy this week. So uh, she did tell us that this week she wants to challenge Gem Razor in Gargos Vicious Watcher deck. So I'm going to read both of them because they're not the most common cards. Gargos Vicious Watcher is the three in triple green legendary Hydroth Vigilance. Hydra spells you cast cost four less to cast. And then whenever a creature becomes the target of a spell, Gargos 
fights up to one target creature you don't control. So we already kind of know what's going on there. A lot of Hydra tribal synergies, but there's one card that, like we said, Gem Razor, that just, it's outstanding. It is terribly underplayed. So Gem Razor is three and a green for a four, four beast uh, with reach and trample, but also has mutate. So you can pay one green, green. And whenever this creature mutates, destroy target artifact or enchantment an opponent controls. So this is, threefold on why I love this so much. So the first is you get the disenchant effect from mutating onto Gargos. Mutating onto Gargos though, or any of the creatures that you have in, on the battlefield, uh, it's going to trigger Gargos's ability of he'll fight another creature you don't control. But then also, like we said, there's a lot of Hydra tribal synergy in the average Gargos deck, which means there's a lot of creatures that have a base power and toughness of zero, zero, and they have plus one, plus one counters that kind of feed into them being able to be on the battlefield. So when you give those a base power and toughness of four, four, like Gem Razor has, you have a pump spell built into it. So there's doing triple duty there. Currently, there's only 17% of Gargos decks that are playing Gem Razor, and that is incredibly underplayed. So Sarah, this is an amazing challenge. 11 out of 10, a nice job, good find. I am all on board. I, I really, I mean, I'm kind of like, woo, on the mutate ability, but this, I cannot deny the synergies there. Sarah, excellent job on that one. I'm very, very impressed and also possibly very, very afraid. Yeah, I think we all should be. I mean, it does three <laughs> great things and it's probably going to come back and just blow us up. So <laughs> indeed. All right. I'll move on to my challenge to round us out here. This is a challenge for the commander Halar the Fire Fletcher, a three mana uncommon from Dominaria, an elf archer three, three with a trample that says whenever you cast a spell, if that spell was kicked, Halar gets a plus one plus one counter and then deals damage equal to the number of counters on them to each opponent. And the card that I think deserves to see some more play in this particular deck is a very unknown one. It's the card Emblazoned Golem, a two mana one, two golem with a kicker of X and some other abilities that at this point, honestly, just like don't even actually matter because what matters here <laughs> is that you can use the kicker effect and pay zero to kick the spell. It doesn't say that X can't be zero. I've checked with Halar players, I know, to verify that this is true. So this is just a two-mana way to trigger the Halar ability and then cast a very cheap pseudo Chandra's Ignition based off of all of the counters that you've been piling onto your commander with stuff like increasing savagery and things like that. So this is one of the cheapest ways that you'll be able to get that kicker trigger. This is a very unknown card. It is only in 59 decks, like, total and it probably doesn't need to go in any other type of kicker deck but for halar where it's only seeing play in 44 of the 642 halar decks this is a very efficient kicker spell that can help out with this deck strategy so definitely give it a you know, check this one out and you'll be able to pick up the emblazoned golem uh, next year in the secret lair lord of the rings set oh my <laughs> i thought it was emblazoned golem uh, close ah! enough close uh... enough you guys are way too much. All right, so that was fun, but let's get back into our main topic now. Let's get back to those late bloomer cards. And here's where things kind of get a bit more, we're going out into the depths now because these were commanders that we couldn't actually find a specific reprint that was tied to the date that they spiked. There wasn't a rules change or anything like that. We actually had to evaluate like the sets and other cards that came out around that same time that might've reinvigorated player interest into building these specific commanders. So let's get into some of these 
these and see if we can figure out why it is that these particular commanders spiked at the time that they did so far after they were originally printed. Matt, how about you start us off? What do we got going on? So the first one we're going to talk about is Zer the Enchanter. So this is the old Esper commander that when it attacks, you get to search your library for an enchantment that costs three or less and you put it onto the battlefield. So this card originally is from about 2006 and around January of 2020, the card went from its previous highest spike of 15 decks a week all the way up to 42 decks a week, and we can't really figure out why. Yeah, that's a very interesting timeline. Like, I would have expected maybe potentially, because Zura sometimes played as like a cycling commander, because it can find, I think it's like Astral Drift or other three-man enchantments that have cycling payoffs whenever you cycle cards. I would have expected that maybe like new stuff from the cycling stuff might have influenced this, but that timeline doesn't quite work out if it was spiking up in January. Yeah, that would have had to have been like, you know, nine-ish months earlier to really take advantage of when like Astral Drift got printed and things like that. So um, maybe because that's around when Theros Beyond Death came out and we actually had a new influx of enchantment creatures that are fetchable with Xur. Mm. Um, but I mean, that's just a guess. I, I, I'm having trouble thinking of any real bomb enchantment creatures <laughs> at three mana or less that Xur deck wants to go get but I don't know what else it would be. I actually think that that's kind of perfect though. Like it isn't even necessarily that individual cards might've done it, but like that was a enchantment filled time. Like if you sure. didn't want to play Bant Chantress with stuff like Tuvasa, this was an Esper option when not a lot of other Esper options existed. So the fact that there were so many more enchantments, maybe that alone is the reason why folks were just kind of eager to find an Enchantress deck that wasn't specifically the Bant Chantress style. Well, and there there were a lot of sagas in Theros Beyond Death mm. too, but the big thing that I can't wrap my brain around is what enchantments and sagas from Theros Beyond Death was Zer grabbing because the mana restriction is still there. Right, uh, there true. aren't any terribly popular enchantments from that that set specifically. So I'm not really sure why Zer saw the sudden jump. Another mysterious commander we had here with 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 an inexplicable jump is Maelstrom Wanderer. That's an eight mana elemental. Um, creatures you control have haste, and it has a cascade and then cascade again effect when it comes into play. So this was a card that was first released back in 2012, and the spike happened in September of 2018, so six whole years later. It went from people making eight decks a week to a high of 36 a week, which is a pretty big jump for a commander that doesn't have anything necessarily very clearly pointing to why it spiked. Right. It wasn't a reprint at that time because I know that it did get a reprint at some point, but it certainly wasn't around that particular, uh, the, in any of the September months or anything like that. The only thing I can think of that came out at that time that might have influenced this in any way is that that was the printing of Commander 2018. What would have been in 2018 that would have made a difference? Anything special? I would maybe assume that like... That is where we got the Aminatu deck, for example, sure. and that introduced top deck manipulation as more of a potential strategy. So the fact that this Cascade spell, when you cast the Maelstrom Wanderer, you get this Cascade to get free spells off the top of the deck. Potentially setting that up was a bit more feasible, given all of the attention to top deck manipulation around that time period. Yeah, they did bring in back a bunch of cards like Portent and Predict and all the things to mm. set up big Cascade spells. So maybe that helped a little bit. But I still don't think that's that's enough to to go from eight decks as the previous high to 36. That is a significant jump. And giving it access to just some blue spells doesn't jive with me. 
That, that was also the the fall when we went back to the Return to Return to Ravnica set, which does have split cards. And there is some interesting interaction there with Maelstrom Wanderer where you can cast um, a, a more expensive half of the card off the Cascade. I think they've since gone back and changed that. But at the right. time, there was an interaction there. So I'm wondering if a new batch of, of these split cards didn't make a difference. Maybe. Yeah, no, that certainly could be. And that might be potentially related to some type of rules change as with mm-hmm. one of our previous sections. But especially what's fascinating to me here is that this particular commander, Mishram Wonder, uh, loves all of the cascading, like so much cascading, it's a whole bunch of fun. And there is another commander that also likes to cascade, and that's Yidris Maelstrom Wielder, which came out in 2016. And notably, when we actually look through these, like we, we kind of dug into a, that time period a little bit, and we saw that like... Maelstrom Wanderer did not get more popular as Yidris was around because folks were cascading so much with Yidris, apparently. Maelstrom Wanderer's numbers had basically never been lower. Like they were all, they, it was suppressed popularity during the time that Yidris was becoming most popular. And it wasn't until 2018 that it kind of escaped from that a little bit. And that's what I think is especially fascinating. I would have expected that if a new cascade card like Yidris comes out, then the old cascade card might also increase in popularity, but the exact opposite happened instead. Interesting to take note of. Mm-hmm. So the next one that we're going to talk about is, of course, the best one because it is the, <laughs> the the colors that are the best anyways. So that commander is going to be Reese the Redeemed. So Reese is that... I, I, I knew it was a Selesnya card. <laughs> I knew you were doing is, the thing. Yeah. Uh, Reese is that Selesnya, one mana hybrid Selesnya uh, for a legendary elf warrior that makes tokens or makes copies of your tokens. Uh, there's a lot of tokens going on there. So Reese originally came back in Lorwyn block uh, back in 2008. And the highest spike that it had seen before was about was eight decks a week. Uh, in May of 2017, though, we saw a jump up to 19 decks a week. So of course we need to talk about it because it's just people coming to coming to light, seeing all the good things that Slesny is doing, right? Uh, what's interesting to me is that the spike didn't necessarily occur this year with its reprinting in Double Masters. It actually occurred in 2017. Well, yeah, that's just when everybody realized that tokens is the best thing to be doing. <laughs> but on a serious note, though, um, Amonkhet block did come out. Uh, there was stuff like Anointed Procession. There was a bunch of new tokens that you could be making in that in that block. So that might have influenced a little bit, too. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Like Anointed Procession, getting more unique types of tokens with like the Embalm mechanic and stuff like that. Doubling tokens, doubling more tokens. I, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. Yeah, and it was an expensive commander for a long time. So like you said, it wouldn't surprise me if Double Masters does help the numbers moving forward now. Um, But May 2017 was that first big jump that we did see for Reese the Redeemed. Yeah, and it's just not always about the reprint. Sometimes like when new sets come out, it is about the stuff in that set. Ooh, we can do something new with an older commander and that helps everyone get a new perspective on it. And it's just a whole lot of fun to see here. And I think that that token stuff provided a whole lot of more interesting stuff that you could do with this particular commander for sure. Uh, The next one that we are seeing here, we're moving on to the actual best colors, Matt Morgan, because this is a Sultai commander, which Uh, is just better than Celestia. That's that's not right. That's... (laughs) We are talking about Tassiker the Golden Fang. This is a six mana, four, five human shaman with Delve. So let's be real, it never actually costs six mana. And it can allow you to pay four mana total. That's two generic and then two Simic hybrid mana to mill yourself for two cards and then return a non-land card of an opponent's choice from your graveyard to your hand. Tassiker the Golden Fang originally came out in the cons block. I think Fate Reforged around 2015. And it didn't see a significant spike until May of this year in 2020, going from 14 a week 
week at its highest spike ever to 41 a week in May of 2020. So five years later, it got a spike. What could have happened around that time that might have influenced the numbers here? Because it wasn't a reprint. It wasn't like the Ultimate Masters. I think that was the set. That didn't affect the numbers here. Instead, it was this year. You know, my best guess is this is right around the time that Oko had been running crazy in Akoria. And I think that that card just put people in the mood to play characters that are skinny and shirtless. So I think that's wow. probably what everyone based this on. And I'm going to guess we're also going to get both of these cards next year in Secret Lair Magic Mike's XSL. So stop. Um, oh, no. That's that's what I got. Okay. So no. I think I think one thing that you said was accurate, and that was a Coria. Um, just focus on the shard itself. Maybe not quite the the half scantily clad you know, people running around, but the actual set itself talking about the Sultai color combination, uh, we did get the triomes. And so having, you know, the, the, the shards that were focused on as the color combinations for the set that probably brought about some renewed interest. And then Tassiger just happens to be a pretty good commander in those colors. So that is probably to me what I took away from Dana's point, although he <laughs> might be right with all of it. I, I certainly hope not. I, like, no, I don't think so. But it, yeah, I would have to say that like when Tassiger first came out, it was in the Wedge set and it was kind of eclipsed in popularity by Sadisi, the Brood Tyrant, who was certainly pulling the most numbers, uh, you know, when Khan's block first was released. But then five years later, we finally get another Wedge set. So this commander is able to be a bit of a it's able to get a bit of a resurgence because finally there are more tools to play with in this particular sandbox. So yeah, I would have to say that that's definitely one of the reasons why this particular commander finally got the spike that it deserves. And speaking of spike, hopefully we will get a spike Buffy and Angel card in Secret War <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer coming <laughs> oh, 2023. <laughs> no, Dana, be done. Just tell us about the next commander, please. Next commander we have here is Bruno Light of Alabaster. Bruna is a enchantress commander we oftentimes see show up um, played in Azorius Colors. Bruna was first released in 2012, and the spike we're looking at here was April of 2019. We went from nine decks-ish a week to a high of 24 a week. Uh, the timing on this is a little curious. This was right around when War of the Spark was blowing up. Um, but there's nothing really in War of the Spark that like jumps out as the kind of thing you would necessarily want to throw immediately into an Azorius Enchantress deck or, or Voltron deck, I guess. Um, any any thoughts from either of you two about why this one blew up at that point in time? I guess there wasn't anything specific for like the Enchantress, pseudo Enchantress, I guess, the Voltron strategy here. But War of the Spark had a lot of really good cards in it, at least for the Azorius control strategy. Like that's where we got Teferi 3, for example, who kind of started wrecking all the formats. Like I feel like Control and Azorius was kind of a big name. There was Dovin's Veto in that set. And I think the Time Wipe is the name of the um, Azorius board wipe that returns a creature to your hand. Like Azorius did get actually a couple of fancy tools around that time period that might help explain explain some increased attention on Azorius as a color pair and commander too. But if, if that's the case, I feel like this spike would have happened a little bit earlier when Azorius was actually featured in the Guilds of Ravnica block. So mm. I, I, I agree that there's something there, but I just, I can't figure out what exactly about War of the Spark 
resulted in the spike or if it was just a, a delayed jump because, like I said, the Azorius were featured uh, in one of those sets. So I'm not, I'm not really sure. Now, see, what surprises me here is that Bruna's numbers really weren't affected at all when it was reprinted in the Tuvasa Enchantress deck back in, I want to say that that was 2018. That didn't affect the numbers here for Bruna, despite its reprinting there. I would have figured that the increased attention maybe would have helped, but it really was stuff from War of the Spark, or at least that time period, that started giving Bruna a bit more, you know, actual popularity here. Well, and another one too, that it saw a significant jump in the amount of decks that we were seeing around the same time as, as Bruna that also had a reprint that didn't really affect it prior is Marchesa the Black Rose. So that is the Grixis commander with dethrone and other creatures you have, have dethrone. And then whenever a creature you control dies, uh, return that card to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. It's a great commander if you want to steal somebody's creatures, then put a counter on them, then sacrifice it so you get to steal it forever. It's a pretty brutal commander. Mm -hmm. uh, but Marchesa came out in 2014, and then about the same time, like we said, May of 2019, we saw a significant jump in decks from the previous high of 7 decks a week to 27 decks a week. That is a lot. And again, that lines up with the time period of it being the War of the Spark. So what happened in War of the Spark that made this commander also jump up at that time? You know, there was some proliferate effects and maybe that a little bit made the plus one counter stuff in Marchesa go up, but that doesn't seem impactful enough to me. I would think if, if it was enough to have plus one counter synergy stuff move that card, it would have done so a year later when the Ozolith was printed, because that seems mm. much, much better in that deck. Um, so I don't really have a guess as to what in War of the Spark might have moved it. So in War of the Spark, there was the big bad Nicol Bolas, and you can't have a Planeswalker as your commander, whereas you can't have Marchesa the Black Rose. So that might have factored in a little bit. Like there are the Nicol Bolas fans who, if you're a Nicol Bolas fan, you're going to build Nicol Bolas decks. So uh, Marchesa just happens to be a commander that fits that bill of being the Grixis colors. So maybe that's a little bit, but I also think that's kind of a little loose. Potentially, yeah, because there is also another Nicol Bolas commander option available, which I believe. Yeah, the actual creature, yeah. Right, which I think was available at that time, but it probably didn't hurt because there is increased attention on Grixis for this as another possible theme deck. And also looking through some of the War of the Spark cards, there are things like Spark Double, which can also really help out in a kind of nasty way with Marchesa, I think, because that can enter as a non-legendary version of her that also she can just sort of like bounce off of each other's counters because Spark Double gets a natural counter on it too. So, I mean, that's also kind of a fun one. But I wonder if maybe Bolas's Citadel helped here at all as well, because that's something that allows you to manipulate your own life total a little bit so that you'll always be able to dethrone other players because they'll always have more life than you. So just a couple of different factors here that maybe would have influenced it for sure. Yeah, that's a the Bull Citadel is a good guess. As good as any anyway. All right, let's move on now to the next one. The next guy that we've got here is Karlov of the Ghost Council. This is actually one of my favorite black-white commanders. This is a two-mana ghost guy who gets bigger every time you gain life and can remove his counters to exile other people's creatures. He originally came out in the commander product from 2015, but two years later, he saw a spike in July of 2017. And what he saw was his highest spike ever had basically been like four per week, and he suddenly jumped up in July of 2017 to... 18 a week. That's a pretty interesting jump there. Let's see if we can figure out why it would have happened. Well, around that time, we did have Hour of Devastation that came out. Uh, Crested Sunmare was a card that cared about gaining life and whatnot, which is exactly, you know, tying into what Karlov likes to do. But that's 
all that I can think of. I'm I'm kind of stumped on Karlov here. I actually love that as an explanation because that. Oh, well, thank you. I I appreciate you appreciating my half thought out answer. <laughs> Well, it's just that, you know, Crested Sunmare is a card that really cares about you gaining life on other, like, all the turns that you can. So mm -hmm. stuff like Authority of the Consoles would be really, really helpful. And those small instances of life gain are also exactly what the Karlov deck is about. It's not gaining a bunch of life all at once. It's about small incremental things here. So this would be another way to maybe diversify his uh, portfolio a little bit. He's not just about the single huge ghost Voltron guy. He's also about maybe you can make a bunch of indestructible horse tokens, and that could be a nice diversification of his abilities that gives people a bit more interest when they see this huge mythic horse in that set. Yes, that is exactly what I meant. Thank you very much for expounding <laughs> upon my original intention. All right. So those were some commanders that we can see, like maybe there were cards in sets that would have influenced the popularity spikes that they got at that time. Looking at the timeline, it's really interesting because, you know, it definitely wasn't the reprints at the time. There had to be something with the sets, but it's also not just about the sets either. Sometimes we can kind of see that the timeline indicates that stuff that happened in the community potentially affected the numbers of these, of the popularity here too. So Dana, tell us about our next commander, and let's see if we can figure out why this one jumped at the time that it did. The next one we have here is Kozilek the Great Distortion, a commander from 2016. Um, this is a card when you cast Kozilek the Great Distortion. If you have fewer than seven cards in hand, draw cards equal to the difference. Kozilek also has Menace, and you can discard a card with converted mana cost X and counter target spell with that same CMC. So this is a card that three years after its release, it, it spiked. It didn't have any previous spike. And March of 2019, it went to a high of 26 decks a week. Whoa. Well, I, I do have an idea. And it, it, so hear me out. Command Zone, they do this web series called Game Nights. You may have heard of it. It's pretty popular. Um, but Ashlyn Rose and Jacob Holloway were on Game Nights that around that time and Ashlyn played a Coz like the Great Distortion deck and it was a very popular episode. It was a ton of fun to watch. So I think that might have played into why people all of a sudden saw this awesome Kozilek deck doing a lot of work that probably inspired quite a few people. Yeah, she didn't just play it. She thumped everybody with it. I think yeah. every, they had to start at 10 life the next game. I think she hit everyone so hard. So wow. um, well, I think that, that deck made an impression on people. And that impression was the shape of Kozilek's foot in everyone's forehead. Oh, well, man. plus, uh, you, you also may have heard of twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast, where Ashlyn played the exact same deck she on did. stream with three people also that might be a little familiar, too. And, and it was also quite, quite a thumping. Like we were able to thump. Equally thumped, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, that's that's exactly like looking over this. It goes like here, there certainly wasn't a reprint to speak of. It was very definitely on March of 2019. That's when we got that Game Nights episode. And that's when we started to see some increased numbers. And I just think that's so cool that community content can yeah. influence and excite players as much as it did there. And it's actually not even the only example of when that happened, because another commander also jumped, potentially as the same result. This is the card Send Triplets. That one came out in 2009. It's an Esper commander that can steal cards from your opponent's hands. It's really, really nasty. And then in January of this year, in 2020, it went from its highest ever point of like six decks a week to getting 52 decks a week. 
And that is one of the cooler jumps that we're seeing. And it isn't even related necessarily to like the mystery booster product. It really is because at that time, that's when Game Nights episode 32 came out. That's the one that featured Lady Danger and Jumbo. That came out in the December, like just before we see the spike at the very beginning of January here. And the numbers shot way up for Centriplets because Centriplets uh, again did a bit of a thumping. Well, and that just goes to show you how good the editing staff is of the EDH Recast because <laughs> Ashlyn, Lady Danger, both editors for the podcast, they play great decks. So does DJ from Jumbo, who also happen to be on twitch.tv slash EDH Recast, <laughs> uh, coming and joining all the games. So it's, but it is true. Uh, sometimes just every now and then a, a video will come out. Uh, somebody will play on a stream, something like that, and just they'll inspire a lot of players to go out and build these decks. And it's it's awesome to see. I know Shadowborn Apostles is the same way because there's been a Game Nights episode where Shadowborn Apostles did some gnarly things. And then just you saw the numbers and the amount of decks that Shadowborn Apostles showed up in skyrocket afterwards. And if you want to get your own copy of Send Triplets, you should better get a copy in 2024 in Secret Lair Triplets of Belleville. Stop. Stop. Oh, oh my goodness. He's going too obscure now. Next, he'll be talking about Secret Layer Golden Girls. This is ridiculous. Okay, so like this is just a whole lot of fun, and I just really liked going over all of this to see why it is that Commanders might excite players even years after they've come out. It might be a decade before a Commander actually sees a huge upswing in popularity, and there are a bunch of different reasons for that. Sometimes it's as simple as a reprint, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes there are just other new cards that come out that remind us how cool some of these old Commanders can be. So let's just wrap it all up, guys. Are there any other thoughts that we want to depart with about, you know, late blooming commanders in general? Um, you know, this is just a really fascinating topic. Um, and I would like to maybe revisit it down the road and see if we have any additional ones that have popped up after we did this show, because it's just so unpredictable. It's the kind of thing that you very much have to look back on and kind of do some forensic um, investigation to figure out what happened. Um, it's putting a puzzle together, and, and this was just a lot of fun to do, and it's it's a, just a really interesting thing to look at. So that's that's really my only final thought is this was a great idea for a show, Joey, and thanks for bringing it to us. Well, and, and two, I also like, sometimes you mentioned the unpredictability. It, it really is. Like some commanders, when something came out, it might have like pushed up because of like potentially that's why the Maelstrom Wanderer was affected because there was more top deck manipulation, maybe. But at the same time, Maelstrom Wanderer wasn't affected when Cascade was more of a conversation because right. Yidris suppressed its numbers. And sometimes, you know, a commander would see a spike as a result of a rules change, but sometimes it wouldn't. Send triplets, we just mentioned, there was a rules change that actually really helped out send triplets by changing the types of mana that your deck is allowed to produce. But that didn't affect send triplets numbers at all. It wasn't until way, way later. So like you said, it is super, super unpredictable. But that also kind of makes it a whole lot of fun. It makes me, I don't know, look forward to seeing the other commanders that might spike up later on as well. Like, I, I just think it's going to be really fun to see if we can navigate all that unpredictability. I, I also think it's kind of fun to, to notice and see how, you know, popular content creators and, and personalities out there can advocate for a certain card or for a certain commander. And then the numbers follow suit. Like, you see that Sign in Blood is a very, very powerful card, very played card, and it's probably because of Dana. It's just Dana's always playing, he's always <laughs> singing its praises. So obviously everybody's listening to Dana. And I'm responsible for Sir Conrad's popularity. No, right. we're, we're not gonna no. I was gonna but say well, Sir Conrad is also like number ten in mono black commanders, so that that's 
Okay, that, that actually works. Math he, checks so, out. I can't go a single episode without talking about him. He's such a great deck. Um, <laughs> but there's there's one final note that I actually do think that we need to end on, and that's something that we clearly missed with regards to all of the commanders, especially the ones that spiked in popularity between last year and this year. Um, and that is, I mean, we clearly missed it. The reason that so many of these commanders spiked is because of Secret Layer Mandalorian. That must have been the reason, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, let's close this out, you guys. Thank you so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find you all. Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And you can catch us Wednesday evenings, twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. You may have heard that before. We have great <laughs> guests that come on every single week, so make sure you tune in. Don't miss a single show. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can read my articles at EDHREC. You can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And you can find myself and Matt and Joey on patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRECcast on both Facebook and on Twitter. And if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh LeQuay and the entire team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. Such a terrific job. And of course, our thanks to our sponsors. That's TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Don't forget, you can find them using the price info links on EDHREC, and you can visit CardKingdom.com slash and that shows your support for the show. Listen we would love to hear your thoughts about why you think some of these commanders might have had spikes way late in their lifetime. What are some of your favorite late bloomer commanders as well? We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm-hmm.